Hi, I'm Spencer. And I'm Blake. And you're You're about about to get get jumped. Welcome to episode 90 of Blake and Spencer Get Jumped, a weekly podcast where we watch the anime so you don't have to. But you should still totally watch the anime. This week on Get Jumped, we're watching Soul Eater, episodes 18 through 21, where math arrows are deadly weapons, going crazy wins you fights, and the mind is a desert place. Yeah, the mind is a desert place. (laughs) So we're like, this is the second time we're recording this, and it still messes with me that you said it that way. It's just the way I said it. I don't know. You're probably... That's so stupid. Whatever. Grammar's hard, you guys. Let's jump in. Hey, everybody. (laughs) So, this is the second time that we're recording the opening part of this episode, uh, because... I, I got to learn uh, what happens when you put a large electrical source next to a uh, recording device. Um, so that happens. <laughs> you also spent a while blaming me for it. <laughs> well, I was convinced that it was your fault. And to be fair, it usually is your fault. So. I will neither confirm nor deny the amount of times that it is my fault. <laughs> Blake, if you didn't know, uh, lives in a, a desert of uh, phone fails um, and also weird lightning storms that blow up out of nowhere. It's also, because he told Cheyenne me about is Cheyenne. not designed for people to live in. Yeah. He also told me one time, he was like, sometimes you have to hold on to your door or it'll blow off oh, when yeah. you open your car door. <laughs> it's So it's kind of funny because, you know, like we're from... Not originally, but we both lived in Chicago. That's where we were both living when we started this podcast uh, and both lived there for several years. And it's the Windy City. And everybody who has been on a tour in Chicago or has lived there knows that it being the Windy City is not a direct reference to the literal amount of wind. However, there is a lot of wind, particularly in downtown during the winter, so it's still a fairly apt name. However, I am now in Cheyenne, Wyoming, which is the literal windiest city in America. And uh, yeah, sometimes, especially during the winter, it is so windy that uh, if you open your car door and the wind is blowing from behind your car, if you're not holding on to your car door, the wind will rip it off. <laughs> so I, like, I've said this a lot. I said it a second ago. Cheyenne is not a place where people are supposed to live. Yeah, so hide your kids, hide your car doors. Yeah, it's also not a place where T-Mobile wants to give me good service. So, like, I'm roaming right now. I'm sitting at a desk in my home right next to the downtown, and I'm roaming. And then if I go, like, 500 feet north, I have, like, full bars LTE. (laughs) That's insane. What is wrong with your... Because then if I keep going, I lose service altogether. It doesn't make any sense. And Pete has uh, has Verizon, I think, and his service is great. So yeah. T-Mobile's just oh. fucking it up. And I don't want to get rid yeah. of him because I've had him for a long time, and I'm a creature of habit. <laughs> Anyways. Um, so before me. we get started today, um, there was, uh, if you haven't been reading about it, there there has been a, a little bit of, of tragedy inside of the anime universe. Um, we, we talked about this uh, the last time that we were recording this episode. Um, you won't know I, anything I, about that, but we know. 
Yeah, for real. Um, so we, it's, it's still, it's still relevant. Uh, there was, there was a really, really bad fire that was started in an animation studio in Japan. Um, uh, and I, I really, it was intentionally started. It was an arson. Yeah. So it was started by somebody coming in, pouring gasoline and then lighting it on fire. Um, I think inside of the story I read after we were recording, I think they screamed like Shine at the people as it was like, and it just reminded me of, if you don't know means die. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think that, I think that, I think that if you are part of the anime community and you respect other people that are doing these kind of jobs and, a, you know, a tragedy like this happens, um, I, I think that you should feel um, like you should reach out and try to support these people if you possibly can. If you are a Japanese listener or if you just love anime and you loved uh, anything coming out of the studio, um, you should try to reach out and see if you can support them. Uh, the name of the studio is called uh, Kyoto Animations. Um, and it's uh, it's just... And it's it's just a, a big loss. And it's a big tragedy that's inside of the anime community. Um so I think that you should try to support these people. Um, and if you haven't read anything about it yet, um, it, it, even just like reach out to the people, their, their anime, uh, there's, there's a setup that I found on Google. It's really fast. If you just look up like, uh, like animation studio fire, um, or animation, or you look up, uh, Kyoto animation, uh, you'll be able to find, uh, it's K Y O T O animation. Um, you'll be able to find the studio. Um, and, uh, just, just reach out and see if you can help in any ways. Um, that parlays into the other thing that we're going to be talking about in kind of a weird way. Um, and since we recorded the first episode or tried to record this the first time, I have watched the first episode of oh, this I anime that we're going to talk about. I didn't. Okay, cool. <laughs> so uh, let me introduce it and then I want to hear your thoughts. So, okay. Yeah. So today we're talking about Soul Eater. So the creator of Soul Eater has a new series. I believe the manga's been going on for a little while, and the show just came out. Uh, I don't know how many episodes are available, but the number is very small, single digits. Uh, It's currently doing, I think, simulcast or simuldub on Crunchyroll every week. And uh, the show is called Fire Force. Um, you can definitely tell it's by the same creator if you look at the character designs and you're familiar with the character designs from Soul Eater because they're drawn in a style that's similar as far as like the way he creates those character models. And uh, the uh, concept of Fire Force is that sometimes people spontaneously combust and this causes them to turn into demons or the combustion is because they've been taken over by a demon or something like that. But they're basically fire demons... Uh, that they turn into for one reason or the other. And the uh, the main characters, the heroes, are these like you know supernatural anime firefighters who go in to, I guess, extinguish the demons. Uh, I had hoped to watch the first episode. I have I had heard about the series a little while ago because I think I was just doing a random like Wikipedia lookup on the guy who created Soul Eater to see what else they'd done. And found out about Fire Force as their new thing, and it sounded cool. And now the anime's out, and 
Uh, it's relevant to our interests as anime fans, but also particularly as people following his previous work of Soul Eater. Um, so again, if you're curious, that's Fire Force. Uh, and Spencer, since you've watched it, uh, what did you, what what do you have to add? What did you think? What's going on? Okay, so here's the thing about Fire Force, and take it or leave it as you as you will. As somebody who has watched a a lot of shonen anime, um, I will say first and foremost that it is very very good. Um, however, it does a lot of tropes. It is very trope heavy at the very start, um, which made me a a little bit sad, uh, mostly because I. I love Soul Eater so much, and Soul Eater is very off the beaten path. Um, but thinking back to the way that Soul Eater started, Soul Eater did start in a very generic way as well. Um, so I'm hoping that it is going to put a very different spin onto this universe um, as he gets more and more in-depth um, with the show itself. I will say one of the coolest aspects of it is that there is a um, completely different religion system that has been set up inside of this world um, where they worship uh, their god is named Sol. And if you don't know, uh, Sol, S-O-L, is the name of our sun. Um, and so I'm certain that this animator and this creator uh, is prescient enough to know that. Um, and uh, this is definitely a specific choice they made. Yeah. And so one of the things that they say to do as well is like at the very end of their prayer, they they uh, wish the soul to go back um, uh, to the fire and the flame, the great fire and the flame. Um, so it's it's basically like um, exercising these fire demons that are inside of these people's bodies. Um, it's it's a really it's a really cool uh, spin on um, like a like a religious concept where it's like it's almost as if like the, this world of people spontaneously combusting, um, they couldn't figure out what was happening in a scientific way. So instead of dealing with it in a scientific way, they were like, it must be magic, which is a really cool thing as well, because like that is an argument for religion in old practicing worlds, which is like, it's if an you argument don't know, in our current world. It's called God of the gaps, which is to say, if we don't have an answer for something, the answer is God. Yeah. And, or, and it's also the whole thing about religion where it's just like, you know, um, it, there's, there's a really cool example of it. If you watch, uh, like, um, any of the BBC dramas and you end up liking those, or I, I think this one's actually off of Showtime. Um, and it, it's called, uh, Outlander. And it's about oh, yeah. this woman who goes back in time because she touches this rock and this weird Stonehenge thing. And when she goes back in time, one of the things that first happened to her is that she uses her medical knowledge because she was a nurse in from her time, which is like this, the fifties or sixties. And, uh, when she goes back in time, they like want to burn her at the stake for being a witch because they're like, nobody understands this. You're, you're a witch basically because of it, because she has science that is more advanced than theirs. Uh, that makes sense. She probably is too. I'm just gonna, oh, just yeah, a wild, obviously. wild guess. You, 
Yeah. Anyway, I haven't, um, I haven't seen it. It looks cool, but uh, she's definitely a witch. <laughs> <laughs> okay. With that being said, uh, the first thing that we're going to go ahead and do is that Blake is going to do a quick recap for him. And then um, as much as he tried to help me find the notes, uh, I could not find the notes. So as a change of pace, Blake is going to be doing the names of the episodes this week as well. <laughs> You should have let me know this. So I have a. I also had one more pre-show thing uh, to talk about, which is that uh, there's a character in this show called Krona. We talked about this oh, yeah. uh, once or twice before when Krona was introduced, and maybe the last time when Death the Kid fought Krona. Uh, Krona is a character whose gender is not really clear. They are designed with both uh, predominantly male and predominantly female characteristics. Uh, they sit in this sort of gender ambiguous middle ground, which is not actually that rare in anime. It's pretty common to get the uh, character who's clearly in their design and in their sort of stereotypical personality presentation and in their voice actor, a female who turns out to be male um, or the kid wearing a hat who takes the hat off and it turns out it's a girl who has long flowing hair that was under the hat the whole time. Um, gender ambiguity, confusion, or sudden unexpected reveals that the gender you were expecting is not correct is super common in anime. Um, and I don't know why that is such a cultural thing since uh, the the prevalence of it as a trope in anime and indeed in anime through the years uh, makes it fairly clear that it's some sort of cultural trope that we don't really have here in the West. Um, But Krona specifically is kind of an interesting case because unlike those other uh, situations where there is a specific gender, Krona's gender is not specific. And when we brought this up in the past, I think we basically settled on Krona is a he, but Krona really seems like a she. And so we're going to use whichever pronoun we think of in the moment because that, you know, we're thinking of the character and we're talking off the top of our head based off of very limited notes. And uh, so either one is going to safely apply. We we might also use gender nonspecific pronouns like they. Um and during these episodes, there's some flashbacks to Krona's past, which reveal Krona wearing a dress like you would dress a little girl. And in fact, show her, her maybe, uh, here I go, using pronouns without thinking. So show Krona wearing a dress that almost identically matches another character who is explicitly a young girl. So I was like, okay, I thought Krona was a he, because when they refer to Krona using pronouns in the dub and in the subtitles, they use the word he. So I did a little digging. I found an article that discussed this, and the article basically said that, one, the creator has uh, explicitly confirmed that Krona's gender is intended to be ambiguous. There is no uh, official word of God answer to what is the gender of Krona. It could be male, it could be female, it could be some other option. We don't know, and the creator designed it that way. Um, but the other really interesting thing that I learned is that the the male pronouns that are attributed to Krona in the subtitles and in the dub are an exclusively Western edition. In Japan, it is apparently fairly common to use gender non-discriminate pronouns. Um, it would be akin to using it to refer to a person. So instead of he or she, you would say it. 
Um, this is just a cultural difference of the language. The word for it in America, if you refer to a person, is usually seen as a sort of demeaning, targeted put down. In Japan, it's uh, not. So in the original Japanese language, Krona is referred to with what we can sort of safely assume as it, or a more modern version uh, would be the singular form of the word they. Um, that does not attribute any specific gender uh, based off of either male or female to the character, and that is what they use here. In Western translations, it's not really appropriate, and it wouldn't be a particularly good translation to call Krona it when you're using a pronoun. So instead, they just picked the ma masculine pronouns for he, even though Krona is not officially masculine or feminine. Um, and in fact, Krona has a lot of stereotypically feminine traits from anime characters, so it causes some extra um, gender confusion for the audience. Um, so I looked that up. I was really interested. I thought that uh, if they were to redub or resub Soul Eater nowadays with the last few years, the way that the trans community has become so much more prevalent in our culture and so much more visible the um, alternate pronouns and the singular of they, which in the past has grammatically only technically referred to a group of people. More than one person could be a they, one person could not be a they. But informally in our language, we've used a singular they for a really long time. And thanks to the greater visibility of the trans community, we're now using they as a singular pronoun that is non-gendered for people that wish that. Uh, much more commonly and much more comfortably. So I think you would see that nowadays. Um, I think there's some interesting discussions to be had around Krona's gender. There's some uncomfortable things in that discussion that I sort of waded into the first time we recorded this. Basically, some fan theories have that Krona is literally gender confused, that Krona was born a girl, but Krona's weapon is a male that inhabits Krona's body and is... Uh, is actually literally Krona's blood, and therefore Krona is a female human with a male presence dominating her body, and so does not sort of identify one or the other. Um, there's a lot of debate among the fan community apparently on why Krona is male or why Krona is female, and pointing to different things in the text that point you in that direction. But uh, the truth of the matter is that um, there are a lot of things that support both sides, and there is no definitive answer. There are also a lot of interesting ways you can consider Krona as being written as trans or gender um, non-conforming, which is a, a type of um, trans identity. And um, that's a really cool lens to look through as well. The most unfortunate aspect of that is that a lot of the fan theory centers around that transness coming from childhood trauma, which is not fair. It, you know, like people don't become trans because they had childhood trauma. Even if some people that are trans did, that's not necessarily the cause and it's not fair to equate childhood trauma to that. But it's a really interesting discussion. So I read this article. I thought it was really cool. And because it comes up all the time, we I wanted to put it in here as a more official, more researched discussion rather than the sort of off-the-cuff affair that we had previously. And so there it is. Krona's gender is non-specific. We on this podcast will probably use he, she, they interchangeably 
when we're referring to Corona, and hopefully that won't cause any confusion for you guys because we're setting it up now. And uh, so, yeah, I, that was just kind of a, a really interesting point that kept coming back, and so I had to look it up, and then I that made me want to share it with you guys. Yeah. Um, so if you're not right. sick of Blake talking yet, uh, get ready to uh, hear... You know what I'll do? I'll go ahead and just do the background of uh, the episodes of Soul Eater because we're doing a little bit of a swap this week anyways. Yeah, get, um, give me a second. I didn't bring water in here, so. <laughs> now he's got to go drink some water. Um, anyways, uh, so uh, previously on Soul Eater, um, we have uh, the Soul Society. Not Soul Society. Oh, my God. I'm already <laughs> messing this up. That's preached. Um <laughs> Anyways, um, the DWNA or DWMA is it? Yeah, DWMA? M for Meister. Yeah. Um, so this is an academy of uh, of these people that are fighting against um, a greater force of the world. We are going to think about it originally as they're kind of fighting against evil, but as these episodes are really going to bring up, and I, I don't know if I remembered this as much from watching Soul Eater the first time, sort of what they're fighting against is um, these things that are inside of people, um, these kind of emotions that make people do bad things. Um, so it's not so much that people are inherently evil, it's that they have too much of certain traits that make them the way that they are. And one of the things that we are going to find out inside of these episodes is the thing they're fighting against uh, is called a Kinshin, um, and uh, or Kishin. And the Kishins that they're fighting against um, have absorbed too many pure human souls and become evil. But one of the things that drives them to do that in the first place, as with the Kishin in this episode, and with Krona to a lesser extent, uh, extent is one is fear, and the other one is anxiety. So it's it's really it's really interesting the way they put this spin on to um, like what makes people do the things that they do. Anyways, our main characters are all going to get a little bit of a time to shine inside of these episodes. Um, the things that's happened previously right before this um, is uh, we have uh, Medusa. Medusa has teamed up with uh, the werewolf. I can never remember his name. Free. Um, uh, what was that? Free? Free. Yeah. Um, free and uh, this this other witch uh, that's uh, a frog witch um, and some, some mouse witches. Um <laughs> <laughs> and uh they're gonna go to animal theme i know they're gonna go to fight against uh the dwma um the thing that happened right before this too is um so stein um one of the professors of the dwma um has uh found out or he might have known the whole time um, that Medusa, who is masquerading as the school nurse, is a witch in disguise. Um, he has confronted her once, um, and then he sent um, one of his cohorts. Um, I want to say cohorts, Sid. but he's one of the other teachers, Sid. I always, as soon as I see Sid, by the way, um, all I could think about is Final Fantasies always have a Sid character, and I was just like, oh, that's cool. I wonder if that was like a sl subtle nod to that. But it could not. be. Whatever. I could yeah. see it. Yeah. So so Sid has gone to investigate Medusa's laboratory and when he arrives there he arrives to a whole bunch of explosives that are waiting for him and he is uh 
thought to be dead from these explosions. It will turn out not to be the case, but we'll see that here in just a little bit. He's also already a zombie, so... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's got like a big hole in his head, right? Yeah, Um, because he was killed by being shot through the head, I think, and now he is a zombie and he covers it up with a bandana. Yeah, he's a great character. Like you Um, do. Anyways, uh, this is going to start our episode for this week, um, which will be titled by Blake. Soul Eater episode 18, The Eve Party Nightmare, and so the curtain rises. Which also, I'm just like, every time they have an episode title, I'm like, these are so long. It's like basically two full sentences, and the second one always ends with a question mark, even if it's not (laughs) appropriate. Um, by the way by the way um i want to give a huge huge shout out for the voice acting community um so i have become a convert not for all anime but for soul eater i like the dub the dub's good blake will back me up here i fucking hate dubs there are so many of them that I really, really don't like. I, I, I like voice actors. I know what they're doing as a craft, um, but some Japanese dubs do not work. I don't know if it's just, you know, some, uh, it might just be some, some laziness inside of some of the community or if it's, they, they have to do it too fast. Um, but a lot of times it, it comes across like, like some of them are put more time and effort into than others. Um, and I, I think that soul eater, if you're one of those people that is like, you know, a sub purist and I'm, I'm usually that way. These, the dub for soul eater is superb. And I really, really recognize it when uh, the, the woman who plays the voice actor for Maka, who does the intro, she does a superb job at reading the titles of the episodes too, which if you've listened to us is more difficult than you think, especially yeah. to get it to sound normal. She does a great job. Honestly, the whole cast is really, really good. Um, I, yeah. I'm right there with you. I think I might have mentioned this on the show before that the last like couple of months I've really switched to watching the English version a lot more. And uh, that is mostly attributed to the fact that we've been talking to English voice actors. And I basically felt disingenuous for like talking to them about their craft and like literally never having seen their work. Like mm-hmm. I've seen Soul Eater all the way through to the from beginning to end and now we're covering it again and we're you know starting episode 18 here and we talked to Brittany Karbowski who does Black Star and I had you know it was like it was so cool to meet her because she does this character that's my favorite character and one of my favorite animes and yet I had never heard her version of Black Star at the same time and so I kind of wanted to to do that do justice to the anime voice acting community that we are now interacting with on a semi-regular basis, which is awesome by the way, and such a privilege. And uh, it's pretty good actually. Like there are some things that don't translate well. And I remember one of our voice actor interviews was talking about this, where it was like, anytime your character does anything, you tend to vocalize. It's, it can sometimes seem as comical as like the power Rangers making grunts and over dramatic sounds whenever they do anything. And I think that's part of where English voice acting gets its bad name. Um, in addition to the fact that voice acting has gotten much more faithful 
and uh, much more like technically accurate and beloved uh, skill. Whereas I, I know I've mentioned on the show before, I'm a big Digimon fan from my youth and the show Digimon was heavily changed in the voice acting for the English version. It was targeted at a significantly younger audience than the Japanese version. A lot of stuff was cut out and a lot of like cheesy one-liners and stuff was added to make it more like kid-friendly because this, especially Digimon, was really before anime had caught hold as its own genre. And so it was really seen more as a cartoon which was sort of an exclusively children-oriented thing. And then Adult Swim really helped us to transition out of that, and a lot of people found Japanese subtitles through that process of not wanting to wait for the American version to get caught up, and all that stuff kind of snowball-affected us into the modern era. And yeah, now I'm kind of going back the other way, where I'm like, I still love the subs, and I still think that if you're, you know, gun to my head, I prefer the original. I think that the Japanese voice acting tends to be great. I think that the melodrama and over-the-topness that often accompanies anime is... It makes more sense in Japanese to me because I've only ever seen Japanese anime and maybe the first Godzilla movie in the original language. And, and it's all like that, so it feels like it fits, whereas... Most non-anime shows are not that melodramatic, and when they are melodramatic, it's in a totally different way. And so it feels kind of out of place for people speaking English to do all that stuff. But uh, yeah, I really like it. I'm really enjoying it. I even watched Naruto in the dub now, and it's fine. It's an example of sort of the older guard of anime, where it's not quite as on par, and the characters are a little more character-y, but uh, it works fine. And the Soul Eater dub is really good. Cool. Uh, so, with geez. that being said, has uh, it been let's like go ahead and... 45 minutes and we're just not starting? I know. Okay. It's, it's, Blake is sometimes long-winded, you guys. <laughs> I'm like, uh, like, just don't get me going. Yeah. Anyways. Go. I will um, go. So, so, God. I uh, fucking so go. <laughs> uh, okay, so the, there's a party. It's the anniversary yeah. for the DWMA. And there's a party, and there's some drama with Maka, who's our main heroine, and her partner, Soul, who's the guy that turns into her giant scythe. Because uh, they've been in a fight recently, Soul has been infected with this black blood that came from Krona, the villain, and Ragnarok, her weapon. And uh, so Maka has also been partly infected, but that infection cleared, and it's... Soul has just kind of pulled away from her emotionally since that happened. And it's been causing some strain in their relationship. And she kind of is trying to extend an olive branch here at this party. Yeah. So this, this party is not only great because it features all of our different characters in a, a really different scenario than they're used to being in. Um, like you get uh, all of the different characters in kind of like their party attire. Um, I, I especially like the most um, that it, it, it gives a cool um, uh, spin on the relationship between uh, Maka and Soul. Um, where uh, Maka, she knows that she needs to talk to Soul um, about what's been going on with this black blood, what's been going on with him, because it kind of seems 
it kind of seems like he's hiding stuff from her, which he is, uh, because soul is, is slowly being attacked by this madness, which is inside of him, which is the black flood. Um, but he doesn't want to give over to it and he doesn't want to admit that he is, he is weak enough to be, um, you know, kind of entranced by this black blood. So he doesn't want to, you know, talk to Maka about it. It's, it's like, it's the two of them have, you know, differing traits that make them flawed people. Um, and I think that's what makes them really interesting characters. Um, but, uh, it's, it's also, it's, it's really fun how it's played. Like Maka comes outside and she's eating this really delicious food that she says is really delicious in front of soul. And soul is just like, well, give me some of it. Then she's like, no, you can go get it yourself. And he's like, well, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to take, do that. Um, and so, there's this part where like soul, uh, Maka's dad comes out and he's like, you should dance with me. And Sol's like, you should go dance with her. And she's like, fine. And leaves. And she leaves the food there. And soul looks down and he's like, why is she eating this raw fish? She hates raw fish. And then he's like, Oh, she got it for me. And I'm just yeah. like, Oh, I love that moment. <laughs> it's really sweet. And it's a good characterization because it's subtle. She doesn't say, mm-hmm. I got this for you. She doesn't storm out and say, like, I got that for you. Like, she lets him realize it. Yeah. And he realizes it because of knowing who she is. Yeah. Um, Which is smart. It's good writing. So, uh, meanwhile, Professor Stein, he seemed like he was maybe suspicious of Medusa. So Medusa has been the school nurse at this DWMA school. And she is also secretly a witch who has some sort of plan that she's hatching, which involves Krona and Ragnarok becoming stronger and infecting people with the black blood and stuff like that. And so Stein confronted her the last time we talked about Soul Eater, but she played it off as though he was just calling her a witch, like, you know, kind of making fun of her age or whatever. And he allowed that joke to happen. Now at the party, he is not going to allow it anymore. He's going to confront her. She's going to try and brush it off. And he's not going to let her get away with it. Yeah. And when he, she, she is not, uh, she is not going to be able to get away from it. What she does is she completely pivots. And what she says to Stein next is just like, I understand how strong you are. I do. And I think that you could be a great part of this thing that we're trying to build. And it's this cool moment. Um, she is like getting closer to him. And right before um, she like releases one of her snakes into his open mouth, where she's like going in for a kiss um, for Stein, all of a sudden Sid like busts open the fucking doors and he's like, Medusa's a witch. Get away from her. <laughs> yeah. He's alive, uh, which yeah. is a reveal but nobody's surprised and then uh he basically was sent to scout out her place and see what she's been planning so he's come back to tell everybody but it doesn't matter too much because she's enacting her plan right now she has gotten the help of erica the frog witch free the werewolf who also has a magic eye and a group of uh, mouse witches who i thought were called the nezumis but i think they are some version of that word with maybe a letter or two changed as it yeah. means mouse, uh, or maybe it means rat. I think it means rat. Anyway, yeah, doesn't matter. I think it means rat. They refer so, to them as rats a lot. Yeah. So freeze ability. Well, yeah. And of course, now we're watching it in the dub. So I'm never quite sure what was like slightly changed in translation to make it fit. Because I know one of our voice actors was like talking about how the you know part of the writing process is getting the syllables to match the mouth flaps, mm. and so you know the the 
they do not take a literal translation of what's being said and then have the English voice actors say that. So yeah. uh, now, ironically, in a direct change to how we've done this show up until the last couple of weeks, we're both watching the dub most of the time. <laughs> so who the hell knows? Anyways, uh, still the same Anyways, show. So free. three so- has a barrier ability that he's going to do. Well, it actually doesn't come from him. So barrier is uh, the barrier box um, that they explain inside of the show um, is an ability uh, that comes from a magic object. Um, But it is a very difficult spell and ability to harness. Um, And so free, the only reason that he can really do it is because he is also immortal. Anytime that he is stabbed or hurt in any way, he will regenerate from it no matter how dangerous it is for him so because of this he is able to handle this box ability which is why medusa had to break him out in the first place um so that so that he could harness his ability and lock death inside of this room during the dwma's party because she knew that all of the scythe meisters the weapons and uh uh death were all going to be in the same room because normally death is going to be in a very different part of the building or hiding He's away in, a, in another death dimension which is inside of a mirror yeah it's a i think they call it a mirror dimension and yeah. um, this is lord death who is the the god of death he's a shinigami he is the grim reaper he's kind of all that those are all kind of interchangeable words and concepts kind of similar to the way that like santa claus is in every culture but sometimes he's like a little different but usually it's basically the same thing that's pretty much those words as they relate to those concepts they're more or less the same and he embodies a some version of those concepts so he is like uh he's the dumbledore to dwma's hogwarts and uh he is usually off by himself but now he's with everybody because of this party so they trap him however sid has an ability to untrap people or at least move them quickly enough that they don't get got by the barrier which causes um coffins to rise up beneath them and them to fall into it and then slip and slide their way out and Mm -hmm. he does that uh, conveniently around all of our main heroes which uh that's maka and soul that's also black star our super conceited and also best character ever ninja kid it's like naruto but uh more dope all the time and very very funny uh black star's weapon is a girl named subaki who can change herself into a various different ninja weapons um then there's death the kid who is the son of lord death he is a a very um he he demands order and can become incapacitated if things are out of order and uh do not have perfect symmetry but he's also super powerful because he's the son of lord death so he has this big handicap but uh, if he's not afflicted by it he's real dangerous he also has his weapons are a a sister pair liz and patty that turn into dueling pistols and then the last person that goes down is stein who actually does not have a weapon of his own and is not sent with one yeah, actually he is. Um he is sent with um the Death Reaper that is Maka's father. Well, um, I don't the, I didn't think he went with them cuz he shows up later. I thought. Oh yeah, that's the joke where he's just like nobody's faster at chasing a girl than me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so he's st- Maka's father is Lord Death's Death Scythe and uh I think his name is Spirit. 
And, yeah. um, which is weird cause it, you know, I conflate soul and spirit is basically the same things. And yet soul is her partner. Spirit is her dad. Soul and spirit are not related as far as I know. It's whatever. It just confuses. It's the thing. It's, it's my thing anyway. So Medusa's underneath the city. There's these tunnels beneath the city and she wants to do something down there. And we're going to find out what that is in episode 19, which is the underground battle commences breakthrough Medusa's vector arrow. Okay, so this episode gives us a couple of things. First and foremost, there is going to be a flashback and an explanation of what is under the city, which is so terrible. Um, That is going to be happening up inside of this top area. Um, So we can kind of go ahead and explain what's going on up there. So Death is going to chat with these uh, young Meisters about... What is happened in the past, which gives us a flashback to a show that I goddamn want to watch, which is the flashback to when Death and his scythes were like running around the world, beating Kinchins up or Kishins up. And yeah, I fucking want to watch that Kenshin. show. It's oh, Kishin's. my God, man. I, yeah. I've. The way that he did the character design of all of these different characters is so fucking cool. And old death, like old death's design, um, he's got like a crazy, like beaten up skull mask face. Uh, like his mask face now is like really stylized and a little bit like Art Deco almost. It's um, very but- comedic. It makes him look cute and unthreatening. Yeah, which is but his Avery's- old death mask <laughs> is so creepy and awesome, and I fucking love it. Yeah. Um, Oh, man, I wanted to watch that show. But the thing that they explain is that Kishin um, actually used to be a uh, a, a weapon meister. Um, and he went crazy because he was so obsessed um, with being, a, a, being entranced by his fears. He was like, he didn't want anybody to see his face, so he's used to wrap it in, like, scarves is what he keeps on talking about um and he he keeps on like scratching at his own skin like he's coming out of it um but he's afraid of everything and always paranoid about everything and that made him not trust trust his weapon so he ended up eating his own weapon so that he could take over its powers and wouldn't have to rely on anybody and at one point like death is like honestly i don't know if he ever was a real person because i don't know if that would kill you or not (laughs) <laughs> yeah, he he basically turns himself into a demon, and I believe they say the first demon, which is basically what Kishin is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he originated the process of demonification of oneself by basically being so anxious that he sought out greater power to allay his fears. And his anxiety bred in him basically a madness that led him to you know devour his partner to devour the souls of others to turn himself into a kishin to become a menace and eventually it led lord death and his allies at the time to uh fight against uh asura is this guy's name and uh yeah it's asura is the way they're going to pronounce it in the japanese version Asura is, I think, the way it's pronounced if you're speaking English. I don't know how they pronounce it in the in the dub. So we're going to be... Weirdly, usually I pronounce things correctly according to the Japanese and you do the American pronunciation. We're just... It's all switchy-switch on today's show. So 
So they they imprison him. They like they. I think Lord Death literally said that he ripped Usura's skin off, and, and he formed a bag and put him in the bag. Yeah. So <laughs> Usura gets to live inside of a bag that is his prison cell that's made out of the skin that used to be on his body. So that's yeah. good. Yeah. Um, so if you think about cutesy Lord Death, uh, he also did shit like this, which is not so cutesy. Yeah. Um, he's also so, not going to be very cutesy later on in the show. And uh, he also reveals that this is the reason he never leaves school, because he is protecting something. And that thing is the Kishin egg that holds Asura. Yeah, he will not leave the school. It's so much so that he, in order to seal Asuna, um, he had to literally seal himself to the school. So his body is, uh, his soul is ta- is attached to the school itself. And they do this one point as well, where they're just like, if they if he wanted to go anywhere, they would have to lift up the city and like have it walk around. And then they show like a like a diagram of how that would work. And I was just like, this is great. Um, yeah, it's just a city with legs. It's hilarious. Yeah. Then there is also a hot girl off that is going to happen. Um, and uh, this is the weirdest and also kind of funniest thing that happens in these episodes. Um, so there is uh, Blair, who is a cat that has magical powers. Um, she is running around the city. You will remember her from the very first beginning of soul eater and a couple of times throughout the series so far um she usually stays in cat form but when she turns into a woman she is like this big buxom buxom woman that is like over sexualized um and these rat witches that are flying around destroying the city they have destroyed her favorite uh fish stand um which is this guy that always gives blair fish uh because she turns into like a sexy woman or because she's a cat i don't know the difference between the two um, or pretty sure the reason he why the literally fish guy does it. says the word lust out loud at one point when he's looking at her. So okay, his motivations Anyways. are clear. <laughs> so um, she comes to she comes to his his like hut where he was selling fish, and it's just like broken down into pieces. And then at the bottom of it, he looks like he's about to die, and he's like, "Blair, I saved you a fish," and she's like, "Oh, good." <laughs> He also is about to die or is confirmed dead like three different times. And then he's fine each time. It's pretty funny. So she starts to fight the rat witches, which I like because she's a cat and they're mice and they're fighting and it's, it's cool. It's cute. It's it's good idea. Uh, It's super unimportant to the overall story, but it's pretty charming. And then the mice, there's five of them. They basically get beaten up pretty badly. So that causes them to Voltron themselves into a single, uh, adult woman sized witch who is also extremely scantily clad, buxom, fan service and they kind of sexily stare at each other in angry ways. It's yeah, it, I don't usually approve of fan service, but here it is used well for comedy, and so I've given it a past. Yeah, so the fish owner is just like, I don't know what to do about this. It's two women in front of me. And my favorite part about it is just like, uh, she's talking to Blair and she's just like, you're wearing a really dumb outfit that doesn't really make any sense. And then Blair is just like, what are you talking about? Your shirt literally doesn't have a bottom, so you can just see everything. And then like the wind blows and you cut back over to like the fish owner and he's just like, ah, and he like passes out. (laughs) 
<laughs> so in our main story, Stein and our Meisters have all landed in the sewer underground tunnel. Kind of, I think it's more of a catacomb than it is a sewer, but it kind of has that whole vibe going on. Uh, mm-hmm. They've landed there. They are going to uh, make their way forward, but they are confronted by Medusa herself. Stein decides that that's a really good time to have a strategy meeting. And mm-hmm. so he's going to lay out their group strategy, which is A, Stein is going to stay behind and fight Medusa. B, he expects that Krona and Ragnarok, being the strongest characters who don't seem directly relevant to the reincarnation of Asura, they're going to be the next people in line. And he designates Blackstar and Tsubaki as the right people to fight Krona because Krona. Um, there's this thing that weapons and meisters can do. That's the the weapon is the person that turns into a weapon. The meister is the person that fights while holding the weapon. Um, they have a soul resonance, which is basically how in sync are you? And the more in sync you are, the stronger your power. And then you can um, fight all the better. Ragnarok is super powerful. And however, they know that Krona is not really on the same same wavelength as Ragnarok because of Krona's mental state and Ragnarok's domineering attitude. Uh, Blackstar has the ability to shoot energy into you from his hand that can disrupt your soul resonance. And so he is actually the perfect person to fight Krona and Ragnarok because he can make them unable to resonate, which weakens them, which will allow him to win. So that's part B. Part C is that Maka, Soul, Death the Kid, Liz, and Patty will continue on to fight Free and Erika and stop them from reincarnating Asura. Or I guess freeing him. I think he's alive. He's just in prison. Uh, So that's the plan. Medusa's like, why don't you not make your plans in front of me? That's real dumb, and I'm going to kill you all before you can get past me. Yeah. So instead of actually stopping them, she's going to fire her vector arrows um, at them and try to stop them. But instead, she just ends up basically uh, missing Tsubaki and Blackstar. Uh, Death the Kid flies past her super fast on his, like, hoverboard thing. Um, and then my favorite one is, like, Maka is going to run past her, too, um, but by running directly down the center. And there's this great moment where she's just like, I know I'm afraid. I know if I let my fear get the best of me, I'm not going to be able to make it past. So I have to forget that uh you know i have to forget that this is what's going to happen to me if i if i get caught by these vector arrows and there's this great moment where she like you think that she has been impaled by the vector arrows but it turns out that it's just like in her mind she knows what could happen to her and this is what she's thinking about at the time and it's not actually what ends up happening to her um it's just a it's a really cool like fake out um moment um and I, i really really appreciate it she also ends up closing her eyes as she runs so as not to be able to see the vector arrows because she assumes that if she sees where they are, she's going to overthink her strategy or the fear is going to unconsciously slow her down. And so yeah. by closing her eyes, she just can focus on the fact that like her strategy is to run as fast as you can at the center. And that's the strategy we're going with. And nothing is going to change that because if I hesitate, I die. And yeah. it's great. This, this whole sequence reminded me of actually weirdly the sequences where 
A character who has been shown to be strong in the past is beaten in a curb stomp battle to show you how dangerous the new antagonist is. And I, that's a weird comparison to make, but the the reason I draw it is because this Medusa has been shown to be super dangerous, and her vector arrow attack has been shown to be her most dangerous ability. It's extremely powerful, extremely reactive, very fast. It's hard to dodge, hard to get around, and it will kill you fairly easily. And because each of the characters is able to dodge it in a way that matches their own character and is believable, it shows you just how strong these characters are in a very simple, subtle, unheavy-handed way that I really appreciate. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if this uh, this goes into the next episode or not, um, but I'm going to go ahead and start explaining the, the next couple of fights. Um, uh, and they're broken up into basically two main sections of fight. Um, so if you can go ahead and give us like the, the next two episode titles, um, yeah, we can are. go ahead and just run through them. They're going to blend together a little bit. I mean, the titles yeah. are specific, but they, they're all covering one main fight and one auxiliary fight. So uh, yeah. episode 20, the Black Blood Resonance Battle, a small soul's grand struggle against fear. And number 21, May My Soul Reach You, a Dry Heart Inside Unbearable Isolation. Yeah. So I'm going to go over the first fight, um, which I think is, uh, it's less important to the main storyline, um, but the, uh, I, I really want to end our note today because we were focusing so much on Corona with Corona's fight. Um, yeah. So, so first and foremost, there is a fight between Stein and Medusa. Do not skip it. It's a fucking great fight. Um, it gives a lot of cool abilities that we didn't know Medusa had. Um, Medusa has all uh, these vector arrows, but the other thing that she can do with these vector arrows is make them form on the ground and it creates a, uh, a, like a uncompulsive, um, uh, it, I can't think, I can't think of it. I want I wanted to call it magnets. But it's not magnets because I don't want to slip into like X Men territory where magnets yeah. do everything. It basically, um, it hurls you in the direction the arrow is pointing. Yeah. So think about it in like Mega Man terms. Like, you know, when you step on those like forward things, they push you forward inside of the games. Um, these are going to be the same sort of things. Um, and uh, Stein is also going to show off his other fucking ability, which is dope, um, which is that he can exert his soul into you. And when he exerts his soul resonance into you, one of the things that he can do is make it start attaching it, th- attaching it to other things that you are sitting on via threads of his own soul resonance, which is a cool ability. Um, so he's going to do that a couple of times. Yeah, he's um, basically sewing you to different things or sewing yeah. himself. Yeah. One of my favorite times that he does this though is when he's fighting against Medusa and she's like trapped to a wall and she like cuts herself off the wall and then she shoots herself at him and then um he's going to try to like parry her coming really fast at him but instead she's going to summon some more of them around him and it makes her move so fast around him that he just gets kicked and blindsided. He flies against this wall and then she's going to make him try to fire back towards herself by making another arrow appear underneath him and he just uh sews himself to the ground it's such a cool moment and as she's firing a vector arrow at him he releases them at the right time and he just like flies across the map at her it's a great fight and yeah it's a good example of showing us characters outthinking one another at the speed of a fight yeah 
And it also, it, it doesn't rely too heavily on uh, spirit either as like a, a as a weapon. Um, we kind of just, we, we never see spirit really get used inside of this fight, except for just Stein like carrying him around. Um, yeah, he shows up to help and he really doesn't. He's not yeah. unhelpful, he's just not relevant to the fight. Yeah. We're going to leave this fight um, after uh, a moment where Medusa is going to surround them in these arrows that are always pointing back towards her. And she's going to be like, no matter which way you go, you're always pointing back to me. You're a scientist like me. Why don't you join the winning team, basically? Um, because the world is going to slowly slip further and further into madness. And why not make sure that I finish my experiment? We don't see the end of this. Instead, we're going to cut over to um, not the fight between Death the Kid and Krona, because that is not going to happen, because Death the Kid literally just blasts past Krona, and Krona's just like, what was that? (laughs) (laughs) So Blackstar arrives, he confronts Krona like he's supposed to, and then before their fight gets underway, Maka shows up, and she is going to do something that feels off-character, uh, usually Maka's fairly rule-abiding. She's not a stickler for the rules, but she's rule-abiding. And she also is a good strategist. She understands like working together as a group and doing things that promote the group's goals. So when she arrives, you expect her to keep going because her goal is to join Death the Kid up ahead and help in that fight. However, she stops and convinces Black Star to leave so that she can stay and fight Krona. And the reason is that she wants revenge on Krona for beating her earlier and for hurting Soul and infecting him with the black blood. And it's great because it makes sense and it is kind of in character, but it's also kind of out of character. So it's this big sort of reveal moment and it, it's awesome. It works really well. Yeah. So, so there's going to be fight. two, there's going to be two big points of this fight. One of them is going to be uh, the fight that happens um, in the field. Um, so the fight that happens inside of the field is that uh, Maka is going to be using as much power as she possibly can to try to take down Krona. Um she is starting to notice that Krona has a little bit of like a weird soul resonance with uh, Ragnarok. Um, and she's like, if I can take advantage of this, I think that I can break Krona down and make it to where Krona is not able to fight. Meanwhile, uh, Soul is slowly getting uh, annoyed by this little uh, weird demon that he keeps on flashing to in like this jazz bar that's in Soul's brain. I know it sounds weird, but it looks cool. It's um, like the shining. So- yeah. Um, so uh, the the demon is the representation of the black blood inside of Soul's system and this madness that wants to take him over. He is going to be fighting against this with all of his might, and he is going to be like, no, we can't possibly do this. And so um, as Maka is getting beaten and she is not going to be able to stand up to Corona uh, by herself and Ragnarok, um, she actually appears inside of Soul's brain and the madness demon is just like, hey, if I can't convince you, maybe she can. And so uh, yeah, Soul and Maka. She's able to be there because when they soul resonate, some of the black blood gets into her and they've been resonating during this fight. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, you're going to see the the next representation of Witch Hunter, which is this really cool uh, technique that she uses. Um, 
then she's going to be like, look, if I need, if I need power, I'm going to be able to find that power through this. This is the only going to be the only way that I can figure out how to defeat Krona. So I'm going to, uh, delve into madness. And then we get like the, the think about it. If you've watched Naruto before of, uh, the Fox form of Naruto, where she is going to go completely insane. And Krona is also going to have gone insane. And so they are going to have like this weird fight where they're both kind of crazy and not taking any, like feeling any pain when they get stabbed or hit. She specifically goes insane on purpose. Yes. She's, she, begs she basically begs soul to let her go crazy because if she's not crazy she doesn't think she can win the fight and soul is like you can't slip into madness because then you will be crazy and i won't be able to get you back and basically the black blood will win and the black blood demon is basically like smarmy smiling over there like i'm winning and then essentially maka is like i have to do this or we're gonna die but you can pull me out of it. And yeah. Soul promises to do so. Yeah. So after this fight between uh, uh, Krona and Maka is gone on for a little while in a crazy fashion, um, Maka is going to have these uh, flashbacks to um, seeing um, Soul and then seeing Ragnarok's soul and then seeing like her own soul and then looking over and seeing Krona's soul. The thing that we have not talked about yet, and we're going to get to more so here, is the fight in the mind. So the fight in the mind is going to take place in a couple of different ways. First, we're going to see a bunch of fucking flashbacks. Uh, we're going to find out all about Cronus past um, being Medusa's child. Um, and uh, that is a huge revelation. Um, and uh, we are going to find out that Crona was horribly abused as a child and uh put the had the black bud put inside of uh i'm gonna call uh crona them um and uh crona is also forced to kill this dragon that is brought to them um by medusa and because they won't do it uh Medusa locks Krona inside of this room and uh, makes Krona stay there with this constantly tormenting Ragnarok day after day after day until Krona breaks and does this thing, which um, is interesting. I, I looked it up a little bit because I was like, is this is this something that happens to people when they have like, like schizophrenic breaks? Um, and it turns out that this is um, a, like a, like a known um, a known symptom of schizophrenia and um, and multiple personality disorder, where when you experience e- enough of a traumatic effect, your brain, in order to protect itself, will basically create a alternate version of yourself, um, and they will let them experience the trauma while you are basically not aware of it. So it's like it's a way of like. Uh, y- like putting different parts of your trauma into boxes and putting it away. And I, yeah, obviously. I love the way they deal with madness in this show where they, yeah. they deal with it as like a, you know, like real mental disorders. And instead of dealing with it as like, you know, this person is crazy and evil because they're crazy and evil. Right. It's not, uh, it's not as simple as that. Of course, like anybody that has dealt with like mental health issues knows that they tend to be, 
at least somewhat unique to the person experiencing them. There's going to yeah. be some common symptoms that most, but not all people will experience. Um, there's also a lot of misinformation about that. So there is, so, uh, this is definitely fantasy psychosis, um, even mm-hmm. though it's pulling from reality. So, uh, yeah. yeah, if you're, if you're like, Oh, now I know everything about schizophrenia or multiple personalities. You I don't soul eater. No. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you absolutely don't. Um, but I thought it was interesting the way that they approached it. It, it was in a more thoughtful way um, than uh, it is represented a lot of times inside of uh, cartoons or comic books. A lot of the times they will they will treat psychosis and uh, or uh, different like mental disabilities with people um, in a in a very like one dimensional box. And it's not fair to the people that have these real, like these real, you know, either mental disabilities or like different, different things that are happening inside of their lives that, that push them to these limits. You know, Krona, uh, like you were talking about the start of the show, people were equating, you know, a psychosis to Krona being represented as a a transgendered being inside of this show or somebody that is given enough, like, you know, leeway to make, you know, let a person choose for themselves. And that is not the case that Krona is trans. Yeah. And that is not, that is not the case, especially with like a lot of like uh, a lot of different, like, you know, psychoses that, you know, it's not, it's not that. If you yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of biology. There is, there can be trauma involved in a lot of cases, but not in all cases. And yeah, so anyway, the point being that we are excited about the realism they are pulling from, but that you know, just wanted to make sure that the point is made for anybody that is has not thought about this very deeply or done their own research or had their own personal experiences to remember that like this is still a fantasy representation of mental illness and does not reflect real life mental illness or the people who have those mental illnesses. Um, and I know like people talked about this with split recently, which is basically that like one of the problems is that people who have mental illness are shown as antagonists or as people who create problems a lot in media. This series is not really solving that problem right now, uh, but it is a, a, well-told story that uses some of those themes really well. So as long as you're able to understand and differentiate how this as a story works and pulls from the real world versus what the real world is and how people in the real world that are dealing with these things are, then uh, that's a really important distinction to be able to make. Yeah. I also appreciate that at no point inside of this explanation of the past, do they talk about it being like, you know, this character this character's psychosis or anything being caused by, you know, the possibility that this character is a trans character. It's one of those things where it's just like, look, this person has developed a psychosis because of trauma. And the psychosis is not anything to do with sexuality or their gender identity. It has to do with if they are turning off their emotions entirely and creating a completely split persona, which is the embodiment of madness. And that's what happens inside of Krona's mind. And Krona, in order to be broken out of this, Maka has to go to this world and see Krona 
uh, dealing with these two dueling selves. One is the shadow self that lays across the ground and uh, talks to Krona about how Krona is not going to be able to do it by um, by themselves, and um, they are not going to be able to be strong enough, and so they need to blend into this madness in order to let them take over and shut themselves off from the rest of the world. Krona is going to be shown as uh, someone who doesn't want to answer and does not want to commit to anything because of being it's so anxious. A, it's like a moving moment because basically the shadow self is like, I'm going to ask you some simple questions just to try and figure some stuff out. And Krona is like, well, can I pass? And then the shadow is like, I really don't want you to, but I mean, I guess you have that right. And then every question, Krona, almost without hesitation, says, pass. Yeah. And it's always kind of deadpan and a little sad. And it's just like, it goes on for a while. And it just paints this picture of a character that is so devastated and depressed that they just can't deal even with the simplest of questions. And yeah. they can't, they don't have the tools to deal with it on their own because to me i think that's what this scene represents is that like part of krona is trying to figure out what has happened to them and how to move forward mm -hmm. and the sort of like core of krona is just not willing to face it yeah and so maka says oh it's krona's soul and i don't know how to explain this but it's try and the representation of it is the stark desert with nothing in it. And Maka is wandering through this desert as a little girl. And she represents herself to Krona. And Krona's like, I don't have any friends. I don't know how to be a friend. I don't know what it takes to be a friend. I don't know. I, I can't be around people. And this makes Maka realize that it's just like, oh, this is what's wrong. She comes out of uh, the madness by being pulled up by soul. And instead of, uh, instead of going uh, to Krona and being like hurt and cut down and being stopped because of being afraid by Krona, she leans in, tells Krona it's okay and holds her or holds uh, Krona. And it's just this touching moment where like Krona doesn't know what's happening and why Maka's doing this until Maka's like, it's okay. And it's, it's okay that you don't know how to react to this. I'm going to be, I'm just going to be here for you. And you see this like beautiful moment in Krona's soul where like the water returns. Ugh. Yeah. It turns into a beach basically. Instead yeah. Of a desert. I fucking love that. It's so good, and it's done really subtly. They don't highlight it. You just see a shot of the the sand, and then a wave rolls by. And it's yeah. like, I was watching it, and it didn't like hit me until a few seconds after it had cut to something else. And I was like, oh my god, that was the water returning to her world. And it's, yeah, it's great. It's Maka, it, she ends the fight by realizing that all of this, like Krona reveals that the reason that Krona has been committed to this process of making Ragnarok suck up human souls and push more and more toward being a Kishin is that Krona was afraid of people, didn't know how to deal with people, didn't know how to deal with themselves, didn't know how to deal with anything. And that anxiety just pushed them into this place of isolation 
where they didn't feel like they had anybody in their corner. They didn't feel like anybody understood them or wanted to. And then realized that in order to understand people and to get those things that they needed, Krona had to get more powerful. And that's why they've been doing this evil plan so that they can get strong enough to understand how to get a friend. And so Maka finishes this fight by, by hugging Krona and offering understanding and being like, let's be friends. Yeah. That's the end of it. I love it. I love the way these episodes end. These are, these are four of the strongest episodes in the show by far in a show that is by far the best show that we're watching right now. And I love some of the shows that we're watching, but soul eater is just, it's done in a beautiful way that is unapologetically weird, unapologetically stylized and unafraid to like lean into moments that are not the way that you expect a fight to end. And I appreciate the show so much. It Um, it also makes me excited to check out fire force and see. Oh yeah. Fire force. Fire Force is good too. Um, anyways, um, stick with us. We'll be talking about what we're watching on the next episodes in a moment. Blake and Spencer Get Jumped is made by Forever Summer Productions. With sound editing done by Rashad English of Plain English Productions. He's our level six sound wizard. Level up. Our podcast is ad free and we want to keep it that way. If you want to keep it that way too, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Follow us on Twitter at BNS Get Jumped. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Blake and Spencer Get Jumped. Or talk to us on Reddit at reddit.com slash r slash get jumped. If you like the show, please like, subscribe, and leave a review. Reviews help other listeners find our show. New episodes come out every Sunday on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Buzzsprout, or wherever you get your podcast from. And hey, thanks for listening. Next time on Blake and Spencer Get Jumped, we're watching Naruto with episodes 109 through 114. Shoji's gonna learn to float like a butterfly and sting like a butterfly. <laughs>